Uh, I was reading last night about some of the things that were going on in our nation, and not only in our nation, but in our world. And I was reading about something in New Zealand where there was, uh, I guess, more than one mosque that was uh, shot up this week. There are at least 50 people who have been killed already. And all I could think about truly is the heart of God and how God's heart must break when things like that take place. I understand that ideologically and theologically, we are in a very different place than the people who were there at that mosque, and I am in no way suggesting that we believe the same thing that they do. That is absolutely not the truth. But I do believe that all of us were created in God's image, and it has to break God's heart when he sees his people suffer. I believe that it is God's will that none should perish, but that all should come to the point of repentance. And if anything, when things like this take place, it ought to cause us simply to pray that God would move in a miraculous way to redeem those who are broken. Our hearts should break because we know our God's heart breaks when things like that happen. And I want to pray just for a moment, not only for those who are victims in that moment uh, in New Zealand, but... Worship has become, it's not a safe place anymore. And the church in general, when I say the church, I I even include those who are not really a part of the church. Worship is not a safe place anymore. And we need to pray that God would redeem our society. I pray for those who are worshiping in the wrong way. But I know that I have a God who loves them and he desires to have them made right. So I want to pray specifically for them and pray for his comfort. So this is all before the message. I just felt the need to do this this morning. Father, we come before you and we are grateful for the grace that you extended to us. Thank you for the salvation that we have received. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins that you made possible only through the death of your son, the sacrifice that was given for us. Lord, we come before you now recognizing that we live in a world that desperately needs to know the Savior. Lord, I pray that uh, these who are worshiping false gods, that they would recognize that there truly is only one way to salvation. It is through your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray that you would speak to their hearts, that you would send revival, that you would cause individuals to dream dreams, to be able to understand what it is that you desire to do. Lord, I pray that you would bring forgiveness to them and that they would see that there is a new path. But I also pray that you would move in a mighty way among the world. There are so many folks who it seems as if they want to stand in the way of any type of worship. And I pray right now that you would allow people to truly begin to recognize the value of worship, but not just worship of any God, the worship of the one true living God. Lord, I pray that you would anoint us today as we worship you, as we lift up your name, as we allow your word to speak into our lives. Help us to simply become a better reflection of you today and to love like you would. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. None of that has much to do with the message that I want to share with you this morning. It is a wonderful blessing to have you with us today to worship and to dig into God's Word. You know, one of the most devastating pains that a person can experience is the loss of a child. I've often said that a parent is not supposed to outlive their children, yet this has been reality for so many people. Beginning with Adam and Eve, remember that their son Abel actually was killed by his brother Cain. Imagine the heartbreak and pain that they experienced in that moment. They would not be the last ones to experience that pain. Today, such heartbreak has become commonplace. 
I recently stood with a mother and father as they stood over the body of their 33-year-old daughter who had lost her battle with addiction. Still others have been crushed by disease like cancer and heart ailments. Even my family has lost a child to physical disease. It hurts, and there's little that an individual can do to take away the hurt of another. But I do have good news for you today. It comes from a psalm of praise. It's found in Psalm 147, verse 3, and it says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. I cannot take away the pain of loss, but I know who can heal the brokenhearted and bind up our wounds. God knows our pain. He knows our loss. And although it may seem impossible right now, God can bring healing. You know, this is just one type of brokenness. Brokenness comes in many different shapes and forms. Sometimes we're better at hiding our brokenness than others might be. But the truth is that most of us know brokenness very, very well. Over the next few weeks, I want to take a look at the road to Calvary, which was marked with brokenness, especially as it is recorded in Matthew chapter 26. One thing that is certain is that it was absolutely a road marked with brokenness. More specifically, and this is what we'll look at today, it was marked with broken people. But the good news is that Jesus came to bring healing to the broken and to bind up their wounds. If you would, I had Jerry read it already, but look at Matthew 26, verse 1 through 13 for a minute. It says this, When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. While Jesus was in Bethany, in the home of Simon the leper, A woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste? They asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Now, Jesus begins this address by identifying that the Passover is coming. In fact, it says that it is two days away. This is not some random piece of information, so let's begin by looking at the brokenness that we see within the Passover. What I will tell you is within the Passover, brokenness is revealed not just for one or two or one type of people, but for all of humanity. What significance does the Passover bring? The story brings, begins back in the book of Exodus. The Israelites had been oppressed as slaves in Egypt. And certainly, certainly life was difficult as they became forced labor. 
In fact, Exodus 1.14 reveals exactly what it was like. It says, In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. It was hard. They were tired. They were basically, they had reached a point where they merely existed. Yet God still blessed them even causing them to continuously grow in number. Even though life was rough, it seemed like they could have all the kids they ever wanted. And this is where the true brokenness would begin to take place. Egypt was not blind to the increase in Israelite population. So they had to do something to solve the problem. So Pharaoh gives an order to the people. Exodus 1, says, Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Now I want you to imagine the brokenness that this would cause. This is not just a mom who is losing her child. This is an entire nation who is watching a generation of boys snuffed out at birth. Put yourselves in in their shoes for a moment. I understand this is not a message on abortion, but truthfully we see this basically happening even in our society today. How horrible this must have been. Helplessly watching as your own sons were taken from you. And so the people do what they knew to do. They cry out to God. Lord, help us, deliver us. God would respond in a very, you reap what you sow kind of way. God sends Moses to deliver the people of God. And Moses becomes the instrument, not only of deliverance, but I would say even the instrument of destruction. He brings about a series of 10 plagues upon the people of Egypt, each time sparing the Israelites from disaster. But the greatest of these plagues was the 10th and final one. Exodus 11 tells us that Moses approaches Pharaoh and he warns him that this is about to come upon you. The Lord will pass through the land of Egypt, striking down the firstborn son in each Egyptian household, yet sparing the life of every Israelite. Now think back for a minute. Do you remember what the Egyptians were doing to the Israelites? As these boys were being born, they were being thrown into the Nile, and the children, the sons of Israel, were all being taken. And in a reap what you sow kind of way, now God allows the same thing to happen to the Egyptians. Again, we see brokenness at the heart of this journey. In this case, nobody has won. The Israelites have suffered. The Egyptians have suffered. And all of humanity is in need of a deliverer, one who could bring healing and bind up our wounds. Well, that is exactly what Jesus would do at the Passover here in Matthew. We're then introduced, back to our passage in Matthew, we are then introduced to another man who is broken. Verse 6 tells us that Jesus sat down for a meal at Simon the leper's house. We don't know a whole lot about this man, although there are some things that we can surmise as well as some things that others have guessed at. 
This passage tells us that he lives in Bethany, the same town that Lazarus, Martha, and Mary lived. So it is likely that they might have even been present at the meal. In fact, some have suggested that he was either a relative of Lazarus or even perhaps Lazarus himself in the flesh. It was not uncommon for an individual to be known by multiple names at the same time. Uh, You have Peter, who also sometimes is referred to as Simon, as an example of that. We also know that he is referred to as a leper. Now, I'm going to make a wild guess here, but he probably is no longer a leper. And I make that conclusion based on the fact that Jesus is present at the meal. We know that on multiple occasions, Jesus would heal individuals with leprosy. It is likely that he was one that maybe Jesus had touched somewhere else along the way. Luke 17 tells the story of 10 lepers coming to Jesus to find healing. In that particular instance, Jesus chooses to heal all 10 of the men, yet only one of them returns to give thanks to Jesus. Perhaps this Simon the leper was the one who came back to thank Jesus. Or perhaps this was just one of the many individuals whom Jesus had touched over the three and a half years of ministry. Honestly, I'm not sure it really matters who Simon the leper was. This was a man who knew the grace and the power, and he knew that Jesus Christ came to bind up the brokenhearted and to bring healing to those who are broken. I would imagine that this meal could have taken place in any number of people's homes. I imagine that that the woman with the continuous issue of blood would gladly have hosted such a meal. I imagine that a man born blind who could now see would be more than willing to provide a meal like this to Jesus. Remember that Jesus had healed all kinds of people from disease and even death. No doubt it would have been an honor to host Jesus for a meal. I say that only to point out that it really doesn't matter who Simon was. What matters is the fact that this man had been touched by God and now had a heart of thanksgiving. He was physically broken, yet he found healing and wholeness from God. This was a man who was sick, but now he had been saved. I wonder for a moment, from what has God healed you? I'm not talking about just your sin. I'm talking about the mighty hand of God moving to do what is physically impossible. Maybe it was a sickness. Maybe it had nothing to do with sickness. Maybe it was, in your case, it was God providing food when you desperately needed it. Maybe it was God providing a job when it seemed there was no job. Maybe it was God providing you with a plan and a purpose in life. Consider that Simon the leper would likely have been an outcast with no hope of ever becoming anything of value. As a leper, he was always going to be a second-class citizen. There was no way that he would ever be able to do the things that other people would be able to do. When they would go into the house of worship, Simon had to stay outside. The reason he was considered unclean 
If other people knew about his uncleanness, he could never even be an active participant in society. They had colonies where individuals would go so that they could not infect other people with whatever the disease was caused by. Simon was one who had no social value, yet here he sits with Jesus, the greatest celebrity that the town of Bethany had ever experienced. Well, while Jesus is at Simon's house, we are introduced to yet another broken individual. And she is what I will refer to as a social second. She kind of relates a little bit with this Simon the leper, but she's a little bit different. Again, we don't really know a whole lot about her, but we know that in verse 7, she takes an alabaster jar and she pours out an expensive perfume on Jesus' feet. We don't know her name nor are we certain of where she is from. Some have suggested that perhaps this was the woman who had been caught in adultery. You remember the story while Jesus is preaching, all of a sudden this crowd of angry men come and they've got this woman who's been caught in adultery, apparently all by herself, because she's the only one brought. And clearly they are angry and Jesus basically says, you're right, according to the law, she should be stoned to death. But I tell you what, whichever one of you is without sin, you cast the first stone. And what happens is each one begins from the oldest to the youngest to drop their stones, turn around and walk away. And Jesus restores this young lady and he basically says, if they don't condemn you, neither do I. Now you go and sin no more. He restores her, but not to continue in that sin, but so that she could be changed Maybe this is the woman who has the alabaster jar. Or maybe she was the Samaritan woman, the one who was at the well when Jesus approaches the well in the middle of the day and he said, I need to go through Samaria. And he approaches this woman and asks her to basically draw some water. She calls him out. What are you doing talking to me? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. You're not supposed to talk with me. And Jesus begins to talk anyways. And as Jesus talks, he calls out this woman's sin. He says, here you are, you've been married five times and now you're living with another man and he's not your husband. This woman begins to recognize that this Jesus truly is more than just some man. This was truly the Messiah. He even identifies, he says, I have water that is living water And if you drink of my water, you'll never thirst again. This woman goes back to the people of Samaria and she tells everybody, you're not going to believe who I met. And somehow this woman who was probably an outcast, she becomes a woman of influence because she brings all these other Samaritans back with her to meet Jesus. People saw something in her that was different. She was not just some crazy woman. This was a woman who had seen something that truly could change a life. Maybe this was the woman at the well. Nobody really knows for sure. But what we know for sure is that she was not the most respected individual in the Jewish community. As a woman, she is at best a second-class citizen in society. Take into account the other possibilities regarding who she was, and you can see why she might be viewed as a social second. Certainly, if She is one of these ladies. Her previous lifestyle was not one that would be honored by others. 
I wonder if perhaps the lack of certainty regarding who she is might be intentional. From a social standpoint, she is less than significant. Maybe they actually knew her name, but there was simply too much shame to mention who she was. The other possibility is that she's just a lot like Simon the leper. Maybe it's just irrelevant as to who she is. She's just one of the many who would have been honored to be there at this event. To society, she was a second-class citizen, yet Jesus made her feel incredibly special, like she mattered, perhaps like she was important. He didn't see her coming and expect her to yell out, unclean. He didn't cross the street to avoid her because she was one of those kinds of people. Instead, he talked with Samaritans. He touched lepers. He ate with tax collectors and sinners. You know, there are at least three applications that come from this encounter with the woman. First, as the body of Christ, we need to reach into the lives of those who are social seconds. This will require us to look beyond ourselves for a moment, to look into the lives of those who are hurting and broken. How can you give value to someone else? Jesus didn't care what a person's background was. He cared about where they were going. He touched Jews, Samaritans, Gentiles, women, lepers, lame, even those who would persecute him. And we need to do the same. I think sometimes it's easy for us to love on certain individuals, maybe because we can connect with them, we relate to them, maybe because we see them in a very positive light, and then there are others that we just don't connect very well with, and we don't like to talk to those kinds of people. Well, those are exactly the kind of people that Jesus would have went out of the way to interact with and to love. But second, there likely are people here today who would be social seconds. They have felt unlovely. You know the filth that has existed in your life. You know the shame that you've carried, the baggage that you bring into church every single Sunday. If other people knew, they might not like you very much. You know that there are others who seem more talented or just more valued by others. And maybe you don't even like yourself all that much. How could you be expected to like others or for other people to like you? When you hear Jesus say that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves, you feel confused because you don't even love yourself all that much. But I assure you that Jesus loves you more than you could ever imagine. In fact, he loves you so much that even if you were the only person in all of creation, he was willing to die for your sins. And now 1 John chapter 2 tells us that when we fall short and allow sin into our lives, that we have an advocate who pleads for us before the Father. And that advocate's name is Jesus Christ. You are apparently very, very important to Christ. The last thing that I'll share from this encounter is that even though she was a social second, she still had something of value to bring to the table. And even though, others may have, even though others may have thought it should have been used in other ways, 
what she did was honoring to God. Maybe you genuinely don't have as much to bring to the table as other people around you. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't bring what you have before the Lord. I know this isn't a message on tithing, but the idea is that God can use whatever you bring to the table. Maybe you're not the wealthiest person in the room. I don't know that it really matters. Again, we know nothing about this lady except she had some expensive perfume and instead of keeping it for herself or even selling it for money, she chose to use it as a blessing to Jesus Christ. I want you to know today that God can do far more through those little things that you know you have, even though it may not be as much as others have. God can do far more than you ever could through those things. Jesus tells the story of a widow's mite, suggesting that what she gave was of far greater value than that which others had given, because she sacrificially gave instead of giving out of her, her excess. Know that as this woman gave out of love and sacrifice, God will celebrate such acts of generosity. Well, there's one last group of broken people I want to address real quick, and I've been trying to kind of rush through a little today. One last group of broken people that we find in this passage, and it's a group that many of us would not consider to be all that broken. We're talking about the disciples. These were Jesus' followers. They've given up everything to follow Jesus. They are experiencing life in an incredible way, watching and at times even participating in the miraculous works of God. How could we consider them broken? Actually, it's revealed in verses 8 through 10. just want to read those three verses for you again. It says, when the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste? They asked, this perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. You know, they sound so noble and well-intentioned. They're looking at this, man, what a waste. We could have done some great things through this. They might have even pictured in their minds the face of those who were hungry and thinking to themselves, man, we could have fed all these people. We could have done all this really good stuff. Now, hold on a second. Did Jesus really need this lady's money to feed all those people? He took a few loaves of bread and a few fish and fed thousands of people. Did he really need that money? No. This woman wasn't really concerned with what could be done with the perfume. She didn't do it because she wanted to be recognized. She didn't do it for any reason except to honor Jesus Christ in that moment. You know, it's interesting. Jesus really never gives his opinion as to whether or not it was okay for her to do it. Actually, what he does is he says, stop bothering her. Leave her alone. This woman has done something good. I don't know that Jesus really cared what she did with the perfume. Think about this for a minute. Jesus says that basically what she has done, she'll be remembered for it. And what she did was a good thing. He doesn't say it was better for her to do this. He just simply recognizes you're always going to have the poor with you. You're not always going to have me. What she did is a good thing. I imagine that Jesus was far more concerned with the heart of the one giving than he was what she did with it when she gave. 
This was a woman who had been blessed. She had this gift, this expensive perfume, and she could have sold it and gave all the money to the poor. You know what? I think Jesus would have loved that as long as she did it with that heart of love and grace, a sense of gratefulness for what God had done for her. The things that you have, what I encourage you with today is to know that God's the one that gave it to you. And whatever you choose to do, use it in a way that honors him. That's what he desires above all else. All of us have been blessed. And what we ought to be doing is celebrating. It's interesting. These guys who object to this woman, these are the people in this story that I would look and say are probably the most broken. Simon, he was a broken man. But this is a man who's been redeemed. Again, he's probably not a leper anymore. This woman with the perfume, she is one who likely has been very broken. Maybe she was one of those other individuals that I've mentioned already, the woman at the well. Maybe she was the one caught in adultery. Maybe she was a a mother whose child had been raised from the dead, Jairus' daughter. Maybe this was Jairus' wife. We have no idea who she is, nor does it matter. The point is, at some point, she moved from brokenness to wholeness. The disciples, on the other hand, are still in a broken state in this story. Consider this woman, who we consider broken, was willing to sacrifice something of great value for Jesus. Yet in the coming days, these very same disciples, who have been blessed more than anyone could ever imagine, these very same disciples, every one of them would flee for their lives, unwilling to even sacrifice of themselves for Jesus. Truly, they are the most broken individuals in this story. I think sometimes we assume that because people go to church that they are the ones who are whole and healthy, but sometimes there can be great brokenness even hiding in the church. What I assure you is whether you're inside the church or outside the church, we have one who can heal those who are sick and bring wholeness and bind up the broken in our midst. And that is Jesus Christ. I don't know where you are on the brokenness spectrum today. But what I know is this. I serve a God who is able to bring healing and wholeness to you. Christian, I celebrate the fact that you were able to be baptized today to celebrate truly the salvation and the freedom that you have in Christ. It's an incredible thing. My prayer is that every person in here will know the wholeness that we celebrate within Christian today. If you would, bow your heads with me. Father, as we come before you, Lord, we are grateful for the the forgiveness of sins that you give. We're grateful for the wholeness that has been made available to us. We're grateful that you still bind up those who are brokenhearted. Lord, I pray today that you would help us to recognize where there is brokenness in our lives. Maybe for some of us, we have a physical ailment that needs your healing touch, and I pray right now that you would provide it. Lord, I pray that you would intervene for us. Maybe for some of us, you've already done that. And if that's the case, we simply say thank you. Maybe for some of us today, our brokenness is not a physical issue, but it's emotional. Maybe there's hurt and sorrow. Maybe we grieve. Maybe we fear. Lord, in the midst of whatever we face, I pray that you would be the one that would make us whole. And I pray that we would be like Simon the leper or like this woman with her expensive perfume. 
simply grateful to be in your presence. Lord, I pray that you would bring healing and wholeness to us. I pray that if we be like the disciples in this story, if we be individuals who appear spiritually healthy and strong, but we are still filled with brokenness, I pray that in this moment you would bring healing to us as well. Lord, I pray that you would transform us. We know that in the days that would follow, these disciples would be made whole. At the, uh, at the resurrection, this process would begin, but uh, on the day of Pentecost, these would be the same individuals who would stand up and proclaim the good news of a Messiah who would come. And we know that they would move from brokenness to wholeness. Lord, I pray that right now we would move from brokenness to wholeness. Allow us to become people who truly reflect you in all we say and do. In Christ's name we pray, amen. It is a blessing to be able to be with you, and thank you so much for bearing with me for a few minutes longer than what I was supposed to this morning. I do want to encourage you over the next month, we are going to be um, taking this journey. The sermon series is entitled Ashes, and we are simply going to be looking at God bringing healing through the road to the cross. So that's the, the plan for the next month. We invite you to come be a part of it. Uh, thank you for being a part of our service this morning. Go in peace.